This is the Welcome to Fatherhood podcast. I am your host. My name is Kelly. I am here to remind you, however you're listening, wherever you're listening, that as dads, we're just like moms, except we're dads. Ha <laughs> ha! Introducing yourself, bro. Sure. Well, hi everyone. My name is Jeff Aggie. I'm a first-time dad uh, to a son named Jeffrey Justice Maverick Aggie the Second. Um, and fatherhood has, you know, been and is continuing to be uh, the best journey of my life, next to husbandhood, if that's a word. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So let's talk about the name, homie. What so is it? Uh, Jeffrey Justice Maverick Aggie the Second. Hey, hey, okay, yeah. Talk about the name. So, uh, funny story is, you know, my wife wanted to wait to, to see what the gender of the baby was, but I wanted to find out what the gender of the baby was, and she had this name picked out. Um, she wanted to named him uh, a junior, but I wanted him to have his own legacy. So I didn't want his name and my name to be exactly, to be exactly the same. And she just always had the name Justice Maverick. And she actually, before we even knew whether we were having a boy or a girl, like she didn't have any girl names. She couldn't find any girl names. So I was like, man, I don't know. Like, do you know this? She's just like, you know, she just, I think she just knew it was going to be a boy. He was going to be a boy. And um, uh, the name is, she has definitions for, for all of it. So my first name, which we share is Jeffrey, mm -hmm. God's peace. And so she wanted him to have that name, God's peace. And then justice is someone who stands up for what is right. Someone who, um, or, you know, what's right and what's righteous. And then Maverick is um, peculiar or, uh, uh, marching to the beat of your own tune, being someone who uh, who's, who does things in the way that they want to do it. Mm -hmm. and, um, and so she she believed that our son would encompass those characters and she knew that he would be great. And so she wanted to name him a great name. And so, you know, people usually think that the name is from me, but it's really from from, from my wife, Ashley, uh, who had the foresight um, to to name him that. That is so cool right there because everyone that I've said my son's name to, they're like, oh, that is such a regal name. But yeah. homie, when I tell you that your low man has a regal name, like that's legit. So my son's name is Julius Camillo. Like that's his first name. Oh, wow. Julius Camillo. Um, Julius apostrophe Camillo. Last name is Jean-Philippe. So... We wanted to name him something that was meaningful to us. And so, ah, man, without getting too deep into it, my, me and my wife, we go way back to when we were kids. So I've known wow. her. I say to people, there's not a moment in my life that I can think of where I did not know my wife. 
That is beautiful. And it just so happens that both of our moms go even further back. In their teenage years, they knew each other. And so you would think that, you know, it was destined for my wife and I to be together. We It really wasn't. Just the fact that everything has come full circle in that way is a blessing, bro. Like I couldn't be happier than I am now with who my wife currently is. So we took, we decided, and it was also her idea. So kudos to our wives. She decided to combine her mom's name with my mom's name. So my mom's name is Julie. Her mom's name is Camille. And so we're looking for a good combination of these two names. And she was like, why don't we just name him Julius Camillo? And I was like, ooh, yo, that is... like an emperor. Yeah. Like, <laughs> almost thought you said Gaius Julius Caesar. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yeah. But my last name is already hyphenated. The Jean-Philippe is hyphenated. Mm-hmm. So we didn't want to give him two hyphenated names. And so my only contribution to his name is saying, why don't we do... Julius apostrophe Camillo. Mm. And when we wrote it down, it was like, yeah, Julius Camillo. That's what it is. So kudos to our wives, man. I think I did look into what his name meant. If I tell you I remember it right now, homie, I'll be lying to you. (laughs) But you know it's regal, though. (laughs) But I know it's regal, though. Yeah. So how old is how old is Justice Maverick? He is uh, five months old, but he you would think that he's almost a year old. He's so tall and so um, just just advanced in a way. I'm just such a proud dad. find out. Uh, take us through that whole process. My wife and I, um, we wanted to have children when she turned 30, if we were going to have children. So we were still deciding. But we had made the decision last year that by the end of the year, we would try to get pregnant. So um, when we found out that my wife was pregnant, you know, my reaction wasn't one of excitement or one of sadness. I was just kind of stuck in that, is this really happening? You know, my wife has a autoimmune condition and, you know, we just always wondered if she would it'd be possible for us to have, for her to have children. Although the doctors never told us that it wasn't possible. It's just, mm. um, we were just always concerned about that. And so, um, so my first reaction was just, mm-hmm. you know, well, okay, let's wait and see. But then it really hit me two weeks later uh, when we got it confirmed that she was pregnant. And um, it's just, we were just really happy about it. You know, that journey was just, um, I started thinking about what fatherhood would look like. You know, luckily I had a friend, Gerard, who had just had a son two years prior. 
So he knew the things about fatherhood. So he would talk to me about fatherhood. I have a cousin, Mike, who I was the best man in his wedding, who also had a three-year-old who happens to be my godson. So they were pouring into me about all these things to be ready for during the pregnancy that had it not been for them, I wouldn't have known, you know, like the changes that happens with your wife, the different um, hormonal changes that happen. And then, you know, the journey was even more difficult because my wife had something called hyperemesis, uh, where during the first four months of our pregnancy, where she couldn't eat anything, she could only drink, um, she could only drink juice, she couldn't even drink water. Um, she, would, she would throw up five, six, seven, eight what? times a day, like um, she had to be, she had to be on bed rest, you know, oh. sometimes she'd have to get IV fluids so that so that she was hydrated. So that was difficult. But in that, man, we just got a lot stronger and a lot closer. And, um, you know, I remember uh, she was struggling with her relationship with God in that in that phase. And I remember, you know, I was going on a trip and um, actually I was going to my best friend, Alinx, who, you know, I was going to his wedding in, in, in July. So this was around, mm-hmm. um, this is in July. And, you know, before I left, I told God, like, at this point, I can no longer defend you. I don't really know what to do. And there's nothing that I can do. So you're just going to have to work with her in the way that you know best. I lie to you not. I came back from the trip and the medication that was not working for all this time, just she just, you know, started getting better. And so that was a really great experience in our relationship with God. And then um, just, you know, his birth was 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 amazing. My wife knew he was two weeks late and he wasn't two weeks like he was a week late. And my wife knew it was time to um, have the baby. And the doctors were saying, you know, some of them were saying, hey, you know, you could wait. Uh, uh, you could wait a little bit more and, you know, try to have a baby naturally. And she's like, oh, well, I want to be induced. So we go to the hospital. And within the first three hours, they discovered that every time she would go into labor, that his heart rate would go down. And my wife had been having those experiences for that whole week. So it, it wasn't as painful. So she didn't really know that she was having contractions. So but when we we're at the hospital, they were like, oh, those are contractions. And they monitored every time you do have those contractions, his heart goes down. So if we didn't go to the hospital, there's a real possibility that if we waited to, you know, have the baby naturally, by the time we made it to the hospital, he probably wouldn't have survived because his heart could have um, gave out. So it's just another example of how she just had the insight to know, you know, it's time to have this baby. We had a C-section and, and he was really healthy. He, he was a very healthy baby. And, um, and the journey has been, it's been one of learning. I'll say that I've never been more stressed in my life, you know, there's a birth and everything else, you know, and everything else that was going on in our life. But, uh, but you, you just find out how strong you are, right? You just find out what your relationship is really made of in terms of you and your wife or you and your significant other. Um, if you're not married, that, hey, it takes a team effort and um, a lot of communication and a lot of remembering what your goals are and a lot of remembering what your relationship is all about. And, and that's what I think got us through with uh, prayer. Not like we didn't, we never had any issues between me and her, mm-hmm. but there was just so many issues that it, it started to become like, man, like, yo, this thing is a, is a marathon. This thing is a grind. <laughs> Thank you.
that statement that you that you just made in a little bit. So don't forget that. But I want to go even further back to to what you were talking about earlier and that you said when you found out, so when it was confirmed and you, you kind of felt unstuck after that point, but you also had your your uh, a friend, like a community of guys who had been fathers before you and they were pouring into you to help you navigate that phase. Talk about that a little bit because my experience is the exact opposite. Uh-huh. I had no one. I had no one whatsoever. So I was figuring out things by myself. And it was one of the most difficult points in my life without even knowing how much more challenging it would become once little man came out. But that phase of the pregnancy and dealing with my wife's body changing, uh, dealing with the fact that I no longer will have access to my wife. Uh, she had like 15,000 pillows on the bed, homie, so I couldn't even sleep comfortably. You know what I mean? Like these things, I was just waking up and finding about these things as the days progressed. But you had other people who were already putting that stuff on your spirit and you, so you could be aware of them. So talk about what that, having that support was like for you. It was needed, man. It was definitely needed. It was, I don't know how I would get through without it because some of the advice was, hey, your wife's body is going to change. She's not going to even recognize nor want to have anything to do with her body. Therefore, you are not going to have any access to her body. So me knowing that in advance, I was able to begin to deposit positive reinforcement in her mind about her body. It was challenging too, because for the first two months, she didn't gain any weight because of the hyperemesis. So she was concerned about her body not changing. But then out of the blue going into the second trimester, she started having the normal uh, weight gain. So all the times that she wasn't gaining any weight, she just gained a lot of weight really quickly. And so, but I was already able to start depositing in her mind that your body's going to change and that I'm okay. I'm fine. Let's continue to communicate our needs with one another. Let's communicate our feelings with one another. So we were able to have those conversations that made that aspect of it less of a, oh my God, I can't believe this is happening and more of a disappointment, you know, less of a disappointment of why can't this happen or what's going on? They had already told me what was going on. So, yeah, so that was so important for me to know that in advance about the body change, something that seems like it's common sense, but it's really not common because that comes with so much psychological effects on your significant other and on and on you trying to support your significant other. Because you can be saying, hey, I still love you the same. Hey, the contents of who you are are the same. Like, but that's not what they, they need. You know, they need just you just to listen. And so I didn't have to try to be Mr. Fix-It, but I was trying, I had to be just Mr. I understand you. And that was, that was super helpful. The other piece that was so important for me was not understanding the amount of stress it would put on me, knowing that there would be a life that would 
be coming forth that I and my wife, and more specifically, from my perspective, that I would be responsible for that transcends everything else. So I found myself worrying about, okay, is my job stable? Is, is, you know, how can I make everything else around me stable? And it's like, well, you can't really predict that. So it forced me to deepen my relationship with God and learn to depend on him more. Um, and it was like starting to understand what it felt like to be God. Cause I know my <laughs> son would be depending on me totally. So that process of starting to feel and preparing myself for what it would be like for someone to totally depend on me really helped me in my relationship with God and, 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 you know, becoming less religious and, and much more spiritual and much more mm-hmm. connected to God from a father's perspective that I just didn't have that criteria to even understand. But my friends had told me about that. They were like, Hey, that, that being a dad is a whole different mindset. And I just, you know, mm-hmm. so I could have identified it when it came and and that was important too. So it was like that body change and being able to understand the weight of the responsibility of feeling like someone's going to be totally dependent on you and knowing that your significant other is going to have a, a time where she can't work or she may not want to work or all those things. And, um, and then, you know, in the middle of it, my wife, she, uh, because of the hyperemesis, as I was telling you, she had to take time off of work during the pregnancy. Mm-hmm. So that time off of work, thinking about the financial impacts, because, yo, this whole situation of family medical leave and all that, is, mm-hmm. you don't know, it, it's definitely challenging. And so just, mm-hmm. those were the other things that they told me about, like, hey, make sure, you know, your paperwork is into HR, like things that I thought was automatic. I thought, man, like, you know, you're, you're you know, your significant other's pregnant, they tell their job, you get family medical leave, and then you have the, no, it's like really complicated HR stuff, because then. First, they make you run out. They make you use all of your. Um, they make you use all of your vacation time, all of your PTO. Yeah. Then, yep. After using all of your PTO, then you use um, your your medical FMLA. FMLA. Yeah. Then is when they pay you for after all that spent. That's when they then um, start. You know, start uh, start giving you money that from the company itself. So that you're getting money from the insurance. Like, so it's, it's a process. It's like that 16 weeks or that 12 weeks people talk about, it's like four weeks and three weeks. And it's not like a whole 12 or six right. weeks. Like, right. So yeah. I didn't know, I wouldn't yeah. have known that. So, you know, they had prepared me for that, man. That was, that was important. So I had to get my finances right to know that my wife would only get, be getting like, I think it's like 60% of her salary or something like that. Yeah, something Something. like that. Yep. You know what I mean? Like, so financially, we had to start being ready for that. Like, because we originally were going to plan on moving when she got pregnant. But because they prepared me, I was like, oh, let's move after the baby. Right. So there's all those things that I literally, man, I would have had to find out the hard way. Man, listen, I'm ta- I'm listening to you right now and I'm kind of jealous, but I'm also kind of excited that at least someone that I'm talking to has had that support because the whole premise of or one of the pillars upon which this project is built is for these type of conversations in order to help some other dad who is in that process think about these type of things that otherwise he would know nothing of. Mm-hmm. So 
between me and you right now, you are the project. And my experience is what I think a lot of other dads will go through. And so by listening to this and everything that you just said, hopefully somebody's like, oh, shoot, I need to get my I need to get my leave papers in order. I need to get my finances in order and to start thinking about those things. found out you were going to be a dad for real for real man like honestly you know it's like black panther i froze when i found out <laughs> what she said like you know when we were like we thought we could be pregnant just because it was like oh we definitely might be pregnant it just happened to be at the right time during the right month during the right period of time we didn't even attempt to have it that perfect but my wife has a has a, uh, a tracker on her phone that she tracks everything, like from her from her cycle to everything, and she puts the notes if we're in. Like she has all that. So when we look back at it a couple of days, we're like, "Yo, like this was peak time." So um, when I found out, I was frozen a little bit. But when I when it when it dawned on me, like it was real. Like when it was when we actually um, confirmed that it was mm-hmm. real my mind shifted to life is much bigger than me. And Hmm. it shifted to, I must do what's best for my family. I've been like your, your importance just went out the window. Yes. Also not just my importance, but my willingness to please others. So I've made a lot of sacrifices in my life, which I wouldn't change, but in service of community, like I've sacrificed hundreds of thousands of dollars in service of community. I've sacrificed a lot of things in service of family after college, moving back home instead of going to a top graduate school, like um, wanting to be there for my church that I grew up in rather than pursuing my own professional endeavors. So, you know, I've been a person who has really believed in sacrificing everything for others and a person who's believe in service. And not that I don't believe that anymore, but when we had, when, when I found out and it dawned on me, we had a son, it made me realize, you know, you, I actually have to put on my mask first, my family's mask. We actually, I have to create a pathway for our son or for our daughter, whoever it would be, to, mm-hmm. to, live, to live a life where they could just be and not a life that I had to live where I felt like I had to be everything for others. You know what I mean? Like you have to be like, you're mm-hmm. your, I'm my parents' retirement. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. all this pressure. And so it shifted in my mind, like, you know, while building to create a better world, I really must take special attention in making sure that our child has the right pathway set up and has the right infrastructure in order to launch. Like they cannot start from where we started. My wife is really conservative financially. So, you know, financially in terms of in our household, 
My wife was the person who's like, hey, we can get married in a community center. No, sis. We need to get married at Abu <laughs> Lake. We need to have all this stuff. You know, we need to have the chandeliers. We need to have, like, I was the, I was the uh, not groomzilla, but I was always the one. We could have this. No, we could do that. We could do this. We could do that. We could do this. We could do that. You know what I mean? Like, literally, yeah. I was, that was me. I was that guy. And, you know, I'm always the person who's like, nah, let's spend, spend, spend. And now I find myself, hey, we need to be clearing debt. We need to be. Yes. Because I've always been that kind of person where I believe as an entrepreneur, I've been an entrepreneur for the past 10 years where we can always make more money, right? You know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. Like, not YOLO, but like, we can always make up for it later. But like you're saying, mm-hmm. that now it's like, you know, just because you can doesn't mean you should. Exactly. Exactly. And that that was such a surprising thing that I noticed in me because that was not my that was not my outlook on life. Dude, I still go back to when I was in college, man. One of the worst decisions that I've made. I was back in college taking out student loans, not really caring about student loans. And I remember to this day, my good friend she said to me, she was like, you know, you need to be a little more, you need to pay a little more attention as to how much you're taking out because you're going to have to pay that money back. Dude, you know what my response was, bro? <laughs> God will provide. You, did it? <laughs> Listen, man, my response was, man, don't even worry about it. Jesus is going to come back by then. That's what I see. I, always, I knew I had to do something with spirituality, man. You know, and that's, if I'm really honest with you, that's something that like if if you know, as you give that test that 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 point, I wanna say, you know, fatherhood has completely changed my relationship with God and the fact that I depended on my denomination and my church for my spiritual guidance much more now that I depend on God and me and our family, right? Cause mm-hmm. that mindset, you know, recognizing that, you know, I had to like recognize that. A lot of times spiritual, you know, religion was used to um, definitely cause harm in the black family. And I'll say what I mean Mm -hmm. by that, right? So I'm Mm -hmm. part of a denomination that always says Jesus is coming soon. And that soon Mm -hmm. is always made it seem like it's imminent, like it's going to happen next year or whatever. So then Mm -hmm. in our minds as black families who've never experienced wealth, we make decisions that don't help to grow our family wealth because what's the point when Jesus is coming soon? Whereas a lot of the white folks in our denomination, their families are set. So whether Jesus comes now or 10 or 15, 20 years, it doesn't matter because they're already set their children up in a financially well-off manner. But as a black family and as a black man, I'm, you know, I was making a lot of poor financial decisions, like I said, in service of humanity because of this idea that Jesus would be coming soon. So then, which I do believe Jesus is going to come, but like, it made me really start realizing that's kind of a toxic thought process for a black family who have experienced slavery and enslavement and Jim Crow and all these other things. And then right when we have an opportunity to create some real financial stability, it, you feel guilty because, well, are you not doing your part in terms of allowing Jesus to come sooner because you're focused on your family? So you find yourself making a lot of poor decisions and like, and then we're like, oh yeah, Jesus is going to fix it. And then 10 years go by, like five years go by. I'm not sure when you were last in college, but I was last in undergrad in 2012, which is when I graduated. So it's been eight years from undergrad. And like Mm -hmm. now the the compound interest of those student loans and of those other things start to add up. 
And now we're in a situation where, you know, my student loans is like a mortgage. You know, God is blessed where we're able to pay it and haven't had an issue and, and everything mm-hmm. else. But honestly, my all my student loans combined is like it's like a little mortgage. And so, you know, mm-hmm. so so to say what you're saying, yeah, that's that's a real life situation about a terrible decision. But I think it highlights the mindset that let me do what's best for me and in minds in this moment and others. And I guarantee you when you got your knowing you, man, when you got your refund check, you wasn't just spending that on yourself and buying clothes. You was helping our homies. You was helping our people. You was helping our other students. You was probably buying food and you, your spot was the spot to come to. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Listen, I was I was buying stuff so I can have in my room. Um, but most of that I was sending back home so that mom Dukes could take care of some stuff back home because my dad wasn't really helping, helping her out like that. And so with my student loans, I was sending back money, whatever I could, just so I could be a little bit helpful while I was away. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So, so you were still being yeah. responsible. You but were still being like uh, a father. That's You see what I'm saying? I'm saying that it's like those pockets, those deposits of fatherhood and of responsibility. While you might think you were making poor decisions, if you really look back fundamentally at it, you were using that capital for actually real things that we needed. It's just we didn't have the income. We didn't have the wealth to do that. And so we did with what we best knew mm-hmm. how. And that was like that refund check. So even when you think about it, bro, when you think more deeply about it, you've had that fatherly instinct in you that I want to take care of business. And that looked like taking care of mom boots. You get what I'm saying? particular conversation that we're having, I'm sure throughout all of the uh, different episodes, is the reality that God places in us all the tools that we need. And while it's great and easier to have others cultivated, it's in us. You know, like you are being an intentional father not because your father was intentionally there for you, but because you know what it's like to lack that intentionality. Yes, sir. And I think that is empowering because there are so many men and so many people who grew up without a dad or whose dad is absentee or who dad has been toxic in their life. And the feeling is I can't be a good dad simply because I didn't have a good dad. You know, mm-hmm. and I think of, you know, as black people, just in general, how many times the mindset is or we're made to believe that we have to live in a reality that because we didn't have, that means we can't have because we don't know how to have. But mm, you're, say you're that again. demonstrating a principle like, you know, like because we didn't have, that means that we don't know how to have or that we can't have. You know what I mean? And the reality is the principle that I think you're demonstrating more than anything is that. If you can think it, 
then it can be true. And you can place yourself in the right relationships in the right places to make it so. And not only that, you are right now through this particular podcast, creating an example of what it really means to create, to have a lasting legacy for your son that irregardless of what happens with you, he'll have uh, just a treasure trove of examples of dads. In addition to if you, if we make it and live forever, in addition to you having him having you in his life and, Mm -hmm. and you didn't have any of that, you know what I mean? And to like recognize that just because you didn't have, doesn't mean that you can't give. And I think for me, that's a really big principle that I think sometimes we're so indebted into our trauma and into our pain and into our sorrows and into all the things that, um, that are real, that we we don't Mm -hmm. see the hope in the future. And that we have power. You know, we're not powerless. We're not powerless beings. And as men, black men, we're not powerless. You know, we, we have power and we, we can empower our wives, right? We can empower our sons. We can empower our significant other. We can empower our community. And if we have that power, then that means that in the social world, we can change the world. We can change our environment, you know, in a much more macro level where we're taught that we have no power. And, mm-hmm. and that belief, mm-hmm. I think, is the start of what keeps the cycle of, 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 of damage. When we recognize that we have a power, we can put that power into motion. It's like when you were growing up, you had all this potential energy, right, which is energy at rest. And now you have all this kinetic energy and that's an energy in motion. So, of course, that fatherhood energy, we want it to be kinetic because we want our fathers to put it in motion for us. But for many of mm-hmm. us, our fathers, A, don't put it in motion or B, try to bury that energy so deep inside of us that some of us never manifest it. And you are doing it at the highest level. And I think that's such an example for, like I said, for anyone who grew up without a dad to know that just because you grew up without a dad or a dad who was absentee or a dad who was toxic, it doesn't mean that your future is defined. It doesn't mean that you can't be an awesome dad. terrifying thing about fatherhood for you man the most terrifying thing about fatherhood for me would be um you know and my dad had told this to me too like my dad had always said jeff there's a lot of ways there's a lot of things that i could have done in this world that i didn't do because i know i had kids and i never wanted anybody to come to you and have a bad report about me the most terrifying thing about about fatherhood is knowing that I'm human and the reality that there could potentially be a time or a place, no matter how old my son is, that someone could have a legitimate claim that your dad did this, right? And this could be anything. And that, you know, and that he would view me for what 
what that ex- for what that moment of my life or what that time or what that experience was. That's my biggest fear, you know. And so I strive to do what's right by him and by our family, but also teaching him that, you know, I love him for who he is, mm-hmm. not for what he does. I think um, I, my dad was really a present dad for me in a lot of ways. And he was a really great dad. But, the, mm-hmm. but to this day, what I struggle with is not knowing if my father just loved me for who I am or what I can do. Because I was a very gifted kid early. And it's always been about my dad always hypes me up about all these things that I've done. And it's mm-hmm. like, man, like if I didn't do any of those things, would you still be proud of me? So mm-hmm. I want to raise my son in a way that like he, he's a very advanced kid, even now as a five month old. But I want more than anything for him to know that I love him for him, not because of his abilities or lack thereof. And, and my fear is that, you know, my son might view me for, you know, anything that I've done rather than for who I am. Mm-hmm. It's like my biggest fear. Man, that's that's real. That right there is real. I think for me, it's. um the, like I was saying earlier, the biggest fear is for one day my son to look me in the face and say to me, why weren't you there? Why didn't you care? Like that, that is a terrifying thought for me. It, it terrifies me, bro. And it's almost to a point of, and thank goodness I'm aware of it, but it's almost to a point where already I'm beginning to obsess with not doing anything that would lead to that. And I know the dangers in that. You know, I could become so obsessed with not trying to do something that every single decision I end up making leads me to doing the same thing that I'm not trying to do. So I know the pitfalls of that, but just that thought right there is like, I I can't even, I don't even want to spend time dwelling on the possibility that one day my son would look at me in the eye and say, why weren't you there? Mm. Why don't you care? Why didn't you care? Regardless of what happens between me and his mom, regardless of anything, I don't ever want those words to come out of my son's mouth towards me. Now, if I missed his basketball game because of whatever, you know, not in that context, but in that, in that existential context of he's pointing to my not investing in him, in his personhood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's a terrifying that's a terrifying thought. Before I let you go, what is one counsel you can take it wherever you want that you would give to a dad in the early stages of fatherhood? I would say to do look before you try to make any changes externally to the world or to your son or to your family. Reflect internally on the things that are within your control that you can choose to let go of and about the man or the father that you want to become and the things that you can choose today to be. 
And in doing that, if you get better by 1% every month in the life of your child, you would have exponentially grown as a dad. 1% every month growth, that's 12% in a year. And that percentage is compounding every year. So it's like compounding interest in a way. You exponentially become a better dad. And don't put so much pressure on yourself to be this whole new person, but diligently work on areas of yourself that is within your immediate power to change. If you make that choice every day and every week, you can become the father that you've always wanted to be. A very special thanks to my good friend, Jeff Aggie, and thank you for continuing to support this podcast week after week. I would really love to hear what your thoughts and comments are about this episode. So please head over to find our Facebook group. Just search Welcome to Fatherhood on Facebook and you can share your thoughts and your comments there. Or you can email them to wtfatherhoodpodcast at gmail.com. I look forward to another opportunity to spend time together next week with a brand new episode. So in the meantime, please rate and review this podcast, if you're able, to help it reach new listeners. Remember that as dads, we're really just like moms, except we're dads. Talk to you next week. Oh, 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 oh,